This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Cheers, queers. What's on the Big Gay agenda today, Theora? Today, we are sadly finishing Heartstopper Season 2. It's been a journey, and this episode is just so good. I'm very excited we're here to, to talk about it. But it, it's also perfect because it is perfect. we already know we're getting a Season 3, and it's in production. Yeah, and and by the time you get this recording, the last Heartstopper book might already be out. It's coming out in December, Ooh, Volume yeah. 5 something to look forward to i really yes work on creating those anyway before we begin our discussion and recap breakdown whatever you want to call this of the episode just a reminder to if you're watching on youtube to please like this video comment below your thoughts because we definitely love hearing from everybody especially the people who try to teach us about the uk schooling system yeah absolutely <laughs> we need uh, help and helpful you're like also you've been correcting us in the nicest way possible as well because you're like you're, you're americans why do you understand you know nothing outside of your own country. Anyway. No. And then also subscribe and uh, make sure you have notifications on for our videos. So you always have some super gay content to look forward to. Also, if you like this, we will be back to cover Heartstopper Season 3 when it finally comes out. And we've been thinking about covering Alice's books in the meantime, like Solitaire. So if you're interested in that, let us know in the comments. Tori deserves her own episode. I love Tori. She definitely does. That book is so good. So the person who gave us the straw theory, I believe your name is Annika Oosterink, because I now remember your name. Like, your name is forever embedded in my head since I edited the promo. <laughs> By the way, many people agree with you and appreciate your theory as well. Yes, thanks for sharing. We <laughs> totally gave you a shout out. <laughs> well deserved. Yes, you're great. Um, you made me appreciate Tori so much more so there's so Tori has a lot more going on and all we really see in the show is the straw and the mysterious drink because you don't actually know what it is unless you read the book exactly anyway if you're listening please leave us a review and on whatever platform you're able to I know Theora knows that you can do it on Apple Podcasts I don't know what other you really think Spotify would let you review things at this point. I know I don't think you can which is really weird but follow us on Spotify if you can. Yes. 
And also, if you're listening on Apple, download the episodes. That's how we get like. And if album. possible, listen on Spotify because that gives us more money. Or money. But, it, in but if not, whatever. To each yeah. his own. Just listen to us. Anyway. Uh, and also stay to the end because there will be a bonus word that we want you to uh, try to incorporate in your comments and reviews. Yes. It's always interesting. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. All right. Let's begin with the episode. Woo! It is now the morning of prom. We finally made it. We we finally did. We did. I mean, this, this took a lot of planning. We almost had pirates. But... We did. <laughs> Put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> So we start with Nick and he is waking up. He looks at the photos on his wall because his day isn't started unless he looks at Charlie. Well, like Charlie's the first thing he sees when he wakes up, which is cute and poetry. And why are they so fucking cute? I can't. And what is also very unbrand for them. Uh, Nick, the first thing after looking at photos of Charlie goes to Instagram because... We know that that's who sponsors the show. Right. <laughs> it's their only social <laughs> media. It's they don't have anything else. They have nothing They're else. They're like, let's stay away from Twitter. We don't even know. It's not even called that anymore. Yeah, so for the best. Instagram just seems to be safe. <laughs> so he goes and posts a photo on Instagram and he captions it, boyfriends. And then in parentheses, um, I'm bi actually. So cute. Which I do, I do love that they keep having him mention that he's bi and I don't and I think it's also for him as well but it's just that shows don't usually uh, have characters say that they're bi Mm -hmm. and it's always like gay because like that's the default word and you see it uh I mean we're gonna talk about it but like in the comments people like default even though he says that he's bi so I love that they make a point for him to say that and I think it's just it's also helpful for him because like I am bi this is my label I figured out for myself and he wanted that just like isaac needs a label for himself yeah for nick the label is empowering and the photo he chooses is super cute my question is who took this photo because it's it's him and charlie wrestling in their hotel bed like hug wrestling and just giant smiles on their faces and like, it could be Tao or I, Isaac like at somebody this point. had to take the photo. <laughs> like somebody, because I feel like either oh, you know, it's probably Tao because he's always taking photos and he's probably like. But I could see Isaac doing. Yeah, that as I well. could see so Isaac like know. sneaking of candid of them and being like, "You guys are so cute." Like, I feel like the sneaky ones are more Isaac, correct. and then if Tao would be like, "Hey guys, look at me." <laughs> Tao would also just, like, break them up, I feel like. So this gives me Isaac like energy. in the middle of them. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. This gives me Isaac energy. But anyway, thank you, King Isaac, we assume, who took the photo. It's super cute. And so after he posts this photo, he has to go see Charlie. Because it's, like, saw photos of Charlie post. I have to go see him now. So he goes around to Charlie's. And Charlie just, like, busts out of his front door and just launches himself into Nick's arms. And they do this cute little, like, happy circling hug thing. And it's just so Nick is so proud of himself that he needs to go see him. It's just so and then Charlie is even more prouder of him. And yes, it's it's adorable. Well, Charlie finally has a boyfriend who like gives him attention and is like, "This is my boyfriend, not this like closeted person I hook up with." So I think Charlie want has wanted this for a while. Like, despite his like aversion to attention, 
I think he wanted this from Nick to have a boyfriend that is secure in being his boyfriend. And it is a big step for Nick because he's coming out on his own terms, which is something Charlie was denied. And like, so he's proud of him in that aspect too. So it's like a win-win for Charlie, basically. And I believe before this, it was just rumors as well. Right. So like when he was on the bus, he was looking at, he's like, are you guys boyfriends or whatever it said? And he's just like, I don't know what to say to that. But now he can be fully out and open and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. I mean, except how people react, but as long as they have each other. Speaking of that. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of that, Nick and Charlie uh, are cuddling in bed. In Charlie's bed now. And they're reading the comments from the post because that's what you do, especially when you're nervous about how people are going to handle it. And most of them are positive, I feel like. Yeah. There's a good mix of like. Yeah. But then some are saying to pick a side, like all those typical um, stereotypical responses that you'll hear from people who may not be accepting are just like not educated enough of what to say they're they're kids (laughs) they're still children they are children yes and a lot of them as i said before like uh never would have thought he was gay and then someone did point does point out uh that why are you guys calling him gay he literally says he's bi in the post because i feel like it's like what you said it's a catch-all term that some people use, I think, colloquially, the way people, like, you know, people in the Alphabet Mafia use queer as the moniker that encompasses everything. But I think that people outside of that who are not familiar with the lingo just say gay as just, like, means queer, I think. So I think that they're just misappropriating. They're not using the term correctly here. And they're just like, oh, he's gay. He's gay. Or they see him with a boy and they're just like, oh, two boys, gay. Got it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, also, like, the lack of, like... Uh, he's gay if he's with a boy, and then straight if he's with a girl. Right. So That's what bi means, right. right? So it's, like, lack of, like, understanding bisexuality or accepting that bi people exist, which is a whole other thing. So to your point, I think that they keep driving this home by having Nick constantly correct people and be like, no, I'm bi. No, I'm bi. No, I'm bi. It's, like, not only is it just, like, a way to reinforce to the viewer who may not be in the community that, like bisexual people exist like it's totally fine like understand this stop mislabeling these people when they label themselves a certain way and also as like bisexual awareness because bi erasure happens because yeah if you're in a same-sex relationship you get mislabeled as gay but then when you're in an opposite sex relationship you're misidentified as straight and you're straight passing at that point so the optics matter so i think if you're just casually looking at this photo you're like oh they're gay got it if and Who's reading the captions? They're just looking at the photo. They're like, gay, got it. Like, Gen Z doesn't read. They're just like, photo, picture, two boys, gay, got it, moved on. Well, I feel like that would... If no something offense, Gen Z, if you're listening. Off, <laughs> I, I am technically Gen Z, so... <laughs> anyway, but if something catches me off guard, I'm more likely to read the caption. I don't know if that's just me, though. And I feel like that would catch the... Yeah, so part. maybe it's just but ignorance. That's really what they're. It's, I think it's a mixture of things because you're getting most a, of it is. Yeah, and you're getting a mixture of answers or, or comments. You're getting, hey, happy for you guys, or like they're gonna be so cute at prom, and then like rugby captain's gay. Isn't that the guy that got bullied? Like it's just a mixture of different like responses. Uh, but yeah, speaking of prom, um, 
So one of the comments is about prom at the very end. It's like, oh, I bet they're going to be so cute dancing together at prom, like cutesy little face. And then the conversation from there transitions into prom territory because that is today slash tomorrow. It's happening. Okay, we're finally here is the point. And Charlie seems super uneasy about all the attention they are going to draw if they show up as a couple, which they kind of agreed to do already in the last episode. And Nick picks up on this and he double checks, like, are you sure you want to go to prom? Because, like, Nick doesn't seem to give a shit about prom. He just kind of wants to hang out with Charlie. But he feels like Charlie really wants to go to prom and wants all those, like, traditional, like, high school couple things. So Nick's like, if this is what you want, we could do it. But if not, I don't care. Like, I just kind of want to be with you. And Charlie basically gives this, like, over-enthusiastic, hell yeah, we're going to do it. I don't have to hide my amazing boyfriend and my life is perfect. <clears throat> Call back to title. And that faux declaration of perfection Charlie made in the very first episode this season. We're full circle now with the perfect. And is it perfect or isn't it, Charlie? Uh, so I think this callback makes it pretty safe to deduce that everything will not be perfect at prom. <laughs> so we're saying it in the first five minutes of the episode. <laughs> and they're, they're gay. They're queer. Themselves. They're queer. See, I just did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do it. We try to, in our episodes, like, we catch ourselves and we're like, no, this person is this because we're trying not to erase things because representation matters. Correct. Anyway, let's continue. Yeah, so prom, not going to be super great, but we'll get there soon enough. So after all the cuteness with Charlie and Nick, we shoot on over to Tao and Elle. And Tao is basically just like chilling and busying himself with stuff while Elle is getting ready. And he notes the instant notification from Nick. And he's like, oh, I think Nick just came out on Instagram. And they're both immediately really happy for him because it is big for Nick and they're being supportive friends. And afterwards, Tao notices there's a Lambert brochure in Elle's room. And he starts getting really lost in thought. And he looks at Elle. And then, what does he do, Caitlin? Tao asks Elle to be his girlfriend. Yay! And then they're just really cute together. Okay, finally, the slow burn shift took a whole season. What a bunch of dumbasses, though. They're like, we've been making up for a week now. Are we dating? <laughs> What are you guys I mean, I get, I thought they were dating from the first kiss, and you're like, that's not how that works, Caitlin. No, you have to, there has to be an asking and a consenting for labeling. You know, TV shows don't really show that part, so. Well, American high school TV shows, they act like fucking attorney adults, so yeah, if you're watching those shows, do not take that as to what happens in real life, it's all bullshit. But here I like the sequence because Tao is looking at Lambert brochure. Okay, I'm just going to correct you really quickly. I'm pretty sure it's Lambert. Lambert? Yeah, because that was in the uh, subtitles. Oh, whatever. Fine. Okay, Lambert. Just letting you know. My bad. So I like the sequence of Tao looking at the art college brochure. And to me, that pondering moment that he does really highlights how much he... Like, L really means to him. So it wasn't just a out of the blue, this is about me thing. He was like, she's going to leave. She's going to accept this college. Like, this is where she's meant to be. Like, where does, where do I stand in all of it? Um, so it's, it's, I like that because they end up in the book having a very big conflict over the fact that when she goes, she does go to Lambert, like, spoiler, she's going to say it in this episode, or she already said it, but... She does, she does do it, actually. And then they I end mean, up in this, 
long distance scenario. It's perfect for her, so. Right, but then that ends up putting a lot of tension on the two of them, and they, like, basically, like, break up and stuff. So I think that they're trying to, like, the writers are perhaps trying to, like, handle that here with them before that kind of happens, or they might just avoid that drama altogether. So I like that they're kind of, like, having them communicate about that a little bit here. So we'll see where that goes, but yay, finally, they're officially boyfriend and girlfriend, and that is perfect. I'm also just really happy the two of those, the two of them are communicating, because they're not as great at it, because Tao usually just ends up running away. Well, because, like, the two of them have, like, an actual history together. Like, Nick and Charlie don't have, like, a 12-year history the way, like, allegedly Tao and, like, Elle do, so... I don't know. It adds an extra layer of, like, if I fuck it up, then I lose my friend, too. So, yeah. But it is nice to see them on the same page, despite the changes they're about to go through. So I do like that. After Tao and Elle, we shoot on over to prom setup, which things are not going well (laughs) at the prom. It's like the day of prom, and there's just, like, chaos in this auditorium. Poor, poor... Tara. Tara has just been put in charge of this and is, like, losing, like, she, her hair is graying over this, essentially. <laughs> uh, Sahar is there helping and also complaining about Imogen, which is fucking hilarious. Like, she notes that, like, <laughs> she's like, well, Imogen hasn't gotten any of the food yet, which means the two of them are texting, because how else would Sahar know this? And Tara and Sahar agree that Imogen cannot be trusted with this one task. <laughs> Just, like, it's really funny that we have time to complain about Imogen here. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> There's always time to complain a little bit. Yes. Yeah, but poor, poor Tara. Tara's, like, stressing out hardcore because, like, nothing is going according to plan with the prom setup, basically. Yes, it's not going perfect. No, nothing in Tara's life right now is going perfect, including this. Yes, because she can't get a hold of Darcy. No. So she's like, well, what the hell am I going to do? So she's like, I have a whole friend group who has to do, not has to do it, but who's always there for me. So she texts the whole gang and asks them for help. And of course, they immediately come to her rescue in their little superhero posse. They do. Uh, But before they show up, like... They come in in super gay, dramatic fashion, too, because there's just, like, when they're in the hallway heading towards the gymnasium or wherever this is setting up, there's this, like, stained glass window behind them and all the colors of the rainbow just, like, illuminating them. So they just look like little gay superheroes, like, coming in to the rescue. So this this is why I said the superhero posse. I was trying to figure out why I, in my head that I wrote that, and then, yes, thank you for this photo. <laughs> Uh, But before the posse actually shows up, so Tara texts the group chat and she's like, everybody come help. And they're all like, yes. And then she sends the saddest message in the group chat, which is, and Darcy, if you see this, please text me back. Like, so like putting it out there to everyone that Darcy is like, something is going on with Darcy, but it's just sad that that's her last resort of like, wow, you won't text me on your own. Maybe you'll text the group chat. Just makes me sad. But, uh, all right, so once the superhero gang gets there, it's just, they're helping, quote-unquote, and flirting with each other, the respective pairs, the whole time. Like, Nick and Charlie are, like, staple-gunning something to, like, I don't know, the stage, and just, like, flirting. And then you have Tao I'm and- I'm amazed. Sorry. 
I'm amazed anything gets done here. Correct. Continue. Yeah, me too. Uh, and then Tao and Elle are like painting stuff and they get into a giant paint fight. It's adorable, but yes. Is anything actually getting done? That's <laughs> my question. <laughs> they're having fun though. Right. But there's deadlines. Uh, Sahar and Isaac are actually helping and they're bonding, which is so freaking cute. They're like trying to like hang. I think they're hanging balloons or something. I don't even know. But it looks, they're so cute. And we need Imogen to get here so these three can become new best friends with each other because I want that. Okay, but then we get adult queerness. Yes, we and do. So the rugby coach tells Nathan, the art teacher. Well, you originally no, had no, art teacher in the notes, so I put his name. I had a feeling we, it took us a little while to actually look up Nathan's name. Poor Nathan. Anyway. So the rugby coach tells him, I don't actually know the rugby coach's name either. either. Just move on. Um, That he should invite Farouk to be a prom chaperone. And she keeps trying to be a nosy gay, but he won't let her see his phone. So basically what happens, let me break this down even more, is that she's like, oh, you're a lonely gay right now. And we need more queerness in this prom in general. So, you know, let's get him over here and then you guys can have a little datey date. And so Nathan breaks down. He's like, all right, fine. And then he's trying to text him. And then she's just like, so what's going on? Hovering hardcore. (laughs) So she definitely ships the two of them together. Oh, for sure. I imagine that like they, Nathan and the, um, Rugby coach have been friends for a while. It's like coworker friends. And it's like, you're a gay, I'm a gay, yay, let's be best friends. And so I feel like she's genuinely happy happy for him here. I just probably watched him struggle to find like Mr. Perfect forever. And so like, and plus has probably definitely seen him pining over Farouk and vice versa. And she's like, oh my God, you guys like each other. You hooked up in Paris, just do it already. So she's just like, can you guys just get to get, it's like pushing the heads together. Like, come, come on, come on. So she's- that's so relatable how you said that though, of how like they kind of became friends. Uh, for anybody listening or watching right now, let us know if you have friends like that, just because like, oh, you're gay, I'm gay, let's be friends. I'm pretty sure every queer group is just a bunch of misfit queers that got together because they're queer and they're like, we have that in common. Let's see what else we have in common. So yeah, I love that she's being the best wing woman ever. And my other favorite thing about this whole scene is that they are not helping the kids at all set up prom. They're just standing there watching. And it's clear that this is not going to get done on time without some help. And they're just like, I don't know, maybe you should text that guy you like. They're just not helping. And I just love it. So we know that prom is not like a huge thing over there. So this makes me feel like the kids are like, oh, we won a prom this year. And the teachers are like, okay, but you have to do everything. And they're like, well, you're doing it. Literally, you're not going to help. Or it's just like, I'm a supervisor. That's it. I supervise. (laughs) We're too busy. Uh, Well, the rugby teacher's too busy trying to set up uh, the, uh, we don't actually know if they're do we know if they're gay guy whatever the gay people um yeah so they're just being in their own queer corner yeah love it love they're not helping okay so then we cut back to them still setting up for prom like it's just really not going very far right now and nick and charlie get confronted by two students asking if they are together 
because they're like we need to make sure because apparently an instagram post wasn't enough i feel like it should be but whatever and they say yes um and then like the female student says that they look really cute together and i think it's pretty obvious by the way this interaction goes down with like the cuts we get to charlie that he is super uncomfortable with the attention they receive in this moment Because when she asks the question, are you guys together? His immediate reaction is he flinches, which to me is really telling. Um, And then he gets like that lost look on his face, like like he's having Charlie dark thoughts, basically. Uh, And then he like, as this kind of goes on, he forces that like grimace into this really awkward smile as if he's trying to mask how uncomfortable he is and put a smile on for Nick and everybody else. So it's like Charlie, again, is back in the same pattern we started with from the very first episode where he's pretending everything is perfect because if he pretends, then it will manifest as perfect. Um, And it's like he read The Secret and he's just, you know, he's like, you know, if I put it on my vision board, it's going to happen. That's what he keeps doing. And it just like keeps not working, basically. Um, and so ultimately, he just ignores what's bothering him. And he just I think his mental health just keeps deteriorating. So. But also when he's confronted normally, so like before Nick, he's used to people being extremely um, degrading, I think is the word of him and like bullying him. So. I feel like that's his first thought and like that's where he goes and he can't like really understand that they're being positive and that they're not being negative towards the two of them. Yeah, no, it's PTSD like reactions, like for sure. But like on Charlie's end, he's not really processing or dealing with any of it. He's just trying to pretend it's not happening and like keep it bottled up basically, which that always works. Yes, and uh, Nick tries to help him a little bit not with that particularly, but another issue that Charlie has. Uh, Nick is trying to get Charlie to get food with him because he's like, you know what? Food's always good. Uh, but And let's get Charlie try. But Charlie says that he just had breakfast and isn't hungry. Yeah, I think that was triggered from Nick, not out of the blue, but because, again, Nick observes Charlie and he's about to have a conversation with Tao in a second where he like basically flat out admits that. He's like, I'm just learning, constantly learning things about him. And one of the things I think Nick learned is when Charlie gets put under the spotlight or when he's uncomfortable, that's when like the eating stuff starts going down. So I think that's why here he's like, do you want a snack? Like, because I'm afraid you're not going to eat now because I, I, you got the lost look on your face and I'm worried now. And of course, Charlie's like, pretend everything's fine. I already ate breakfast, which you probably didn't. So. No, they're too busy in bed uh, looking at Instagram. Yeah, and I think the Instagram photos were also making him uncomfortable, which is why Nick earlier was like, are you sure you want to go to prom? Because prom came up and he's like, oh, yeah. So I think that Nick has been observing Charlie having signs of having bad mental health that day in particular. And he's like, do you want some food? Do you want some food? Because I'm worried you're not eating. So from there, Nick and Tal have another heart to heart. And they're just sitting on the side of the room. Uh, just talking, and I think does. Oh, I was trying to see if Tao had a snack. Yeah, Tao had a bag of chips, and he offers a uh, crisp, and he offers a crisp to Nick, and they're sitting between like the cloud paintings that him and Tao finally, or or Tao and L put together after their paint fight, basically. So they're taking a break. They look great. 
And uh, Tao starts commenting, uh, starts the conversation by basically being like, saw your Instagram post, Nick, super proud of you. And he's like, uh, they're all idiots for assuming you're straight. And I'm including myself in that statement, which I love that he says that because, I mean, like you said earlier, like our default is like everybody's, you know, heterosexual until proven otherwise. And if they're queer, they're gay until proven otherwise kind of thing. So I like that Tao is a big enough person that he can admit when he makes mistakes or when he's being ignorant, you know, kind of thing. So I love that from Tao. Tao has done a lot of growing. Oh, yeah. In his relationship with Nick. Definitely. And it's been really actually quite cute to see them become closer this season. Oh, I totally agree. So Nick tells Tao how worried he is that Charlie is still carrying all the bullying and stuff like that he went through last year with him. So, like, he's basically letting all his worries out to Tao instead of holding them in like Charlie does. Yeah, because, like, basically Charlie won't talk to him about it and Nick doesn't know how to, like, broach that topic. And Tao... Asks Nick if he knows just how bad the bullying was, and Nick admits that he doesn't know any more than, like, the average person at Truem that, like, heard rumors, which is kind of sad. And Tao also admits that he really doesn't know either, because Charlie doesn't open up about it, but he had a closer, like, more secondhand experience of watching Charlie, because he was around Charlie during that time, and I assume saw mental health declining from him. Um, But I think this confession from Tao really illuminates the fact that Charlie has told nobody about the bullying. Like, nobody knows. And, like, in the books, like, he doesn't even tell Tori, like, who's his closest sibling. Um, So, Charlie, again, this just adds to the evidence that Charlie has just been bottling up all of this trauma and just not processing it. And so I think it's just eating away at his mental health um, as he tries to keep it under wraps. Uh, but now he is Nick, Nick, who's constantly with him and who learns things about him. And he confirms that he's like, I see right through this facade of everything is just fine and perfect. And, you know, Nick's really concerned that Charlie isn't willing to open up to him, um, about this because he can see that Charlie needs help. And as a partner, I feel like that can be really difficult to be in that position where you, uh, where Nick really like wants to help but he feels helpless because it ha- you know Charlie has to be the one to initiate that and there's only so much Nick can do you know to like make Charlie feel safe Charlie ultimately has to be the one that opened up and he still like isn't doing that so it's like Nick and Charlie are both stuck in these cycles of just like Charlie's stuck in the mental health spiral whereas Nick is just stuck in this like I want to help but I'm helpless position and so, like, the to sum it up, like, this scene really shows, like, the toll that Charlie's mental health is having on his partner, Nick. Because when you're with somebody who's going through stuff like that, it's not just happening in isolation. Like, it does have an effect on the people around them, w- whether intentional or not. Yeah. And then, so, we see Nick be open with Tao. And then, right afterwards... Tao shows like that their relationship really isn't one-sided that they're both there for each other because Tao tells Nick about how his dad died and that's why he is always worried about losing people 
And I mean, the L leaving thing is always going to be going through Tal's head right now because it's kind of new for him. And I mean, he, he yeah. has abandonment issues. That's what he's admitting here. And so the, the poor kid. The, yeah. So L, L leaving to go to a faraway school he can't easily get to is an abandonment in his brain because of like losing a loved one. Unexpe- it's unexpected too. Like from what I get, they didn't know they were going to, he was, didn't know he was going to lose his dad. It just kind of happened unexpectedly. And it's not like his dad chose to. And L yeah. isn't really choosing to go far. It's just where the school is. So it's basically like the kind of the same way of leaving. However, I mean, she can still technically see her, but they both don't really have much of an option because this is where she needs to be. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think Tao sums this up really nicely when he says, I think when something really bad happens, it can affect you for a long time. So like that's Tao admitting like why he has abandonment issues and why this stuff with L we've been talking about is weighing on him but also it explains charlie and charlie's behavior of just like something really bad happened to charlie and it's affecting him way longer and it's like something you don't ever think about or at least is not portrayed super well in a lot of media is just like the long-term effects of ptsd like that like the sure you could see the aftermath immediately with charlie and the bullying and how he goes through the bullying but like that kind of scar that that can leave can last a lifetime and that's really what charlie's journey is about it's like there's not always a cure for like the ptsd it's just you have to learn how to process it and handle it and how you have your good days your bad days and you know i like that alice really took a realistic approach to the mental health in this show and just like how it's not just that moment it, it can last way longer than that. And we have multiple examples like Tao and, you know, his abandonment issues from his dad that stem to his personal, other personal relationships, and then Charlie with his PTSD. Um, and the fact that this conversation is happening between Tao and Nick, who are set up to be like antagonistic to a degree in the beginning, um, they're much more so because of Tao really in the books. I like that they're having this bonding moment. To me, it's really, really adorable because it really speaks to the commonality of these two guys, which is that they love so fiercely their friends and loved ones. Like, it's loud how much they love their friends. And I love that, that like, in the books, they spend so much time butting heads because of Tao, but really they have a lot in common, these two. And so it, this is a very sweet moment. I love it. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I've said it already that I really love the two of them talking. Yeah, I'm glad we got more. Because you don't you don't expect it if you only see like last season. And if you only read the books, like you don't this is not in the books. This is all for the show and it's cute. It really works. And it just again, it gives you good comparisons of the two of them. They're they're very alike and it's very sweet. But somehow like during this and I don't know how much longer it is, but somehow the, they're done setting up for prom. I guess. Somehow, they're done, no, okay, I don't understand this. Somehow they're done setting up the gymnasium and the outside. Like, when we come back to the school, it's not just the gymnasium, it's the outside of the school. I was gonna bring that up later, but, like, the gymnasium looks like there's a hundred times more things in there. I know! When did they start, like, when did Tara send the SOS text? Was it 6 a.m.? Because how did they get, and when they get to the school, there's still light out. So, like, what? But I feel like they were all doing such a terrible job that Tara at one point was probably like, just leave. Just go. (laughs) Or did the teachers finally be like, fine, we'll help. She's like, more student helpers came. She's like, just leave. Okay, they can do it. 
That was an act of God. <laughs> Thank lesbian Jesus for that setup, Tara. She, like, called it a favor. <laughs> so Nick and Charlie uh, are now getting ready for prom, and they're really cute together as they get ready. Ugh, they are. They're over it. So Nick went over to Charlie's, all dressed up, and he's, like, waiting in Charlie's room for Charlie to go get ready. And Charlie's like, Nick, close your eyes. Because he doesn't want Nick to see how, quote, weird he looks. Because, like, I guess, like, it feels weird. It, I understand that. When you don't wear fancy clothes, you feel weird in it. But, like, you oh, guys yeah. were, like, suit and ties, like, to school. So I don't fully oh, understand, yeah. but I do. Hmm. Okay. It's kind of a self-conscious thing more than anything, I think. Oh, my God. So every time Nick I wore a dress. Ugh. Sorry. Yeah, but it's, like, if you wore dresses to school every day, it'd be less weird yeah, to would... wear just a slightly fancier one. You know, but but it also puts more attention on Charlie, which I think is what feels weird. Yeah, totally. It's it's Nick seeing him in his fanciest clothes. So Nick assures Charlie that he always looks cute because, of course, that's what Nick thinks. Uh, And the big reveal is very cute. Like Charlie comes into the room and he stands very awkwardly in front of the door and he looks so dapper in his suit and little bow tie that it basically short circuits Nick's brain. Like, he doesn't have the words for, like, a minute, and which is adorable. And Nick just, like, sweeps Charlie into a hug. And he's like, can we just skip prom and stay here? Which, that's also it's, relatable. It's so cute. <laughs> it's so Let, cute. Let's not deal with people and just be together. Yeah, exactly. Which... Probably not a bad idea. And and Charlie's response is revealing where he says, we have to go. Everyone is expecting us. So, like, adding to the evidence that Nick keeps pointing out for us that, like, going to prom really isn't something Charlie wants. It, it, it feels expected. It's just, he's just going through, like, the this is what normal people do kind of playlist and, like, you know, not actually wanting to truly do it himself. And so, like, Nick kind of hammers that home by asking, like, a big public appearance. That's what we want, right? Um, and then we transition into this, like, dream sequence of the perfect prom. And it's, like, them doing, like, the classic pose with, like, Nick hugging Charlie from behind for the camera. And there's, like, hearts and just, like, little the crowns crown and then, like, on Charlie's head. On Charlie's head. And then, like, Nick, they do, like, the dance and Nick, like, sweeps Charlie off his feet and they do, like, a dip and it's really cute and all this stuff. What I'm, what I'm assuming, though, is this, this dream is what goes through Charlie's brain. I'm not 100% sure on that. The only reason I think that is because when we come out of the dream, there's, like, a heart popping or something, some cartoon that pops away by Charlie, like, looking at Charlie. I feel like it would be Charlie because he's like, it's going to be perfect. And like, he's just like going through how the night should be. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and after the dream, Nick or Charlie reassures Nick once again that this is what he wants. Um, and he's cool with it. And in some other version of the story, the narrator says, but he was not fine. <laughs> because Charlie is clearly not fine with this. Uh, and speaking of people who are not fine... The next scene, we cut over to Tara, who's, like, in her room, sitting on her bed, staring at the dress she bought. Like, the hanging prom dress. Just looking forlorn AF. That's so heartbreaking. Um, yeah, because Tara is really concerned since Darcy has not responded to any of her messages in almost 24 hours. Which, like... Which is... They're lesbians. 
That's like a year. <laughs> it's super concerning because think about it. The last thing she got from Tara or from Darcy was the Snapchat that's like super ready for prom. We're going to look all cute. And then ghost, ghosting, straight up ghosting. This There's isn't like that. Darcy. Darcy is no. always very talkative, very much always going. So Right. And it's weird on prom day that she can't get a hold of her after the last thing she got was how excited she was for prom. So it kind of adds to like the unease of like something is really wrong and something's been wrong, but she hasn't been telling you. Now something is really, really wrong and she's really not talking to me. So it's terrifying for, for Tara. And so she tries one more time and texts Darcy um, to please come with her to prom. And she's like, sends a bunch of stuff where she's like, did your mom do something? Whatever happened, I'm here for you. And then she's like, please, please just come to prom. Like, I just need to know you're okay is basically what she's saying. Uh, And also, again, I want to note again how cool Tara's room is because... I'll pop up a photo of this because it's hilarious. If you go to like where she's sitting on the bed staring at the prop dress, there's like a teddy bear laying on the bed with one of those sleep masks on it. And I fucking love it. And there's rainbow unicorns everywhere, which just, I love Tara's room. Do you think that <laughs> to that's point that what Tara uses at night and then just puts it on the Or is bunny? it the teddy bears? Who knows? Either way. Good job, Tara. <laughs> Very colorful. So... From there, we do get to see where Darcy is uh, because we get to know things that they don't. Anyway, so Darcy is at the park with her stuff, just sitting on the swing, very sad. And she notices this mom playing with her daughter on the slide. And you can see in her eyes that she wishes her mom was like that and that they had as good of a relationship because I don't know. I don't see Tara's, uh, oh my God, Darcy's mom ever doing this with her. No. And to add to that, in the scene, specifically what's happening is the girl is sitting at, the little girl sitting on the top of the slide and is crying out for her mom because she's scared. And then the mom comes and gets her. So it's not just like they're playing, having a good time. It's like when I'm sad and I don't feel good, my mom will come save me and comfort me. Because yeah, I don't get that vibe at all from Darcy and her mom. If anything, or why do I keep yeah Darcy uh if anything Darcy's mom makes her scared and makes her uncomfortable and it's not the slide it's the mom that's doing this so yeah they have like the opposite relationship there and I also think that like Darcy wishes she had the freedom to just be a child you know uh which she is she's fucking a child let's not for like remember that like these are children but like young like that um, and just be be cared for. Because I get the sense that in her house, she was forced to essentially like grow up too quickly and like be on her own and be on her guard at all time and watch her step. And so your theory is that her mom is an alcoholic, right? I have a sense that her mom is some kind of substance abuser. So somehow, like, yeah, she was definitely left alone, forced to fend for herself. That's what I just, I'm thinking. Justice for Darcy. Yeah, and so seeing this, this really young child be in distress and have her mom immediately come save her, like, I think Darcy wants that and has never really had that. Because that's, like, what mother-daughter relationships should be, like, child-to-mother kind of thing. And so, like, after seeing that, it's just, it's, like, too much for her, and ultimately she just, like, packs her shit up and, like, storms away. 
And that's it. That's all we get to see for Darcy right now. And we head to Isaac. And Isaac is picking out shirts, but he looks so frustrated. Yeah, and I wonder if Isaac internally is like, what's the point? Like, I don't have a date to impress. Like, why am I putting so much effort into what I look like for prom? wonder if he even wants to go in general. Yeah, I, yeah, to have to go by yourself, like, that's a, you know, how kids make a huge deal out of, like, getting a prom date and, like, all that kind of stuff. And, like, Isaac doesn't want that to begin with, but then to, like, be in that kind of social environment, again, where, like, romance and pairing up is prized. Yeah, that must be, like shitty to begin with yeah i wonder if he wants to go that's a really good point i think prom is overrated in general it absolutely is it's just a way to make money yeah it's dumb uh yeah so before we move on from isaac in a prior episode we challenged ourselves to analyze isaac's room and if we ever saw it and we do see it here so let's uh let's talk about isaac's room it's basically <laughs> a library with a bed he needs more bookshelves he literally has piles of books on the floor. But, like, this is a very Isaac room. It it's is. just a library. There's not much there except books. Yeah. Books and a bed. That's all he needs. <laughs> books and a bed. So, meanwhile, while Isaac is trying to figure his life out, we shoot on over to Elle's, where Tao is, like, there, and Elle's getting ready, and Tao is alone with the parrots getting just grilled by Elle's dad. And he's like, what is your intentions with my Elle? And like, Tao just looks terrified and it's just like, awkward laughter. <laughs> it's so funny. He's like the terrified teenage boy that's awkwardly trying to stay alive until Elle appears. And when she does, Tao it is, is a sight. Uh, speechless. When he sees Elle dressed up, <laughs> that boy has it bad. He does, but also, like, the shot of the parents being so proud of Elle. Like, the little cuties. They're just like, yay, our daughter's happy and she gets her dream prom. And that boy that's hers, and it's very cute. A plus for those parents. Yeah, her parents are cute. We get, like, two glimpses of them, but they're adorable. And you can tell that they really love and support her, which I love. I mean, as if they're accepting, so they get an A+. <laughs> it does not take much for parents. Yeah, no, it totally doesn't. It's just to um, be there and love them. Yes. But now but, it's time uh, for prom. Yeah, so after <laughs> Tao survives um, Elle's parents, they all head over to prom. And... Yeah, now, now now, the place looks festive and put together like a job, Tara and crew, I guess. I don't know who actually did this. Did they hire people the it last minute? It looked like an elementary school like dance or something when we left it. <laughs> it looked like they were trying to set up like an elementary school production of some play, and it just wasn't happening. And then suddenly, the gymnasium was transformed, and like... When the gang arrives, they are outside, and the outside is all festive. So somehow they did the inside and the outside in a few hours, which is insane. But whatever. Everybody arrives and looks spiffy and happy. Everyone except Darcy, who still is not there. So Elle notices and asks where Darcy is. So Tara kind of tries to cover up and is like, she's just running late, but... They shouldn't wait for her to go in. And, but, like, the first thing she does is look around for her. 
to like make sure she's not there so they don't leave her in case. I mean, Tara has been looking for Darcy the whole time. Like before the squad even arrives, she's like glued to her phone and already looking around because she's freaking the fuck out. And I mean, it's definitely like warranted. Yeah, definitely warranted. But also, like, they've been planning to go to prom for, like, months. So she's like, she has to show up. Like, if she's going to show up and appear anywhere, it's going to be at prom. I just don't know where or, like, where exactly or what time she's going to show up here because she's not communicating with me. So she's looking the entire, entire time. And she's just, like, clearly worried and trying to keep her cool in front of her friends because, like, they don't know. But, like, she left that really weird message in the group chat. So I feel like somebody should be, like... Is she okay? Because, like, that message you put in our group chat was really weird. I feel like people... Darcy, text me back. Like, people aren't concerned enough. (laughs) No, I feel like everybody is wrapped up in their own drama that they're not... They don't see the writing on the wall outside of themselves and their respective partners. And, like... That's also Yeah, she likes that in their group chat. (laughs) Isaac is falling through the cracks with their friend group because they're so self-absorbed. Which is a very, like, young person thing to do. The world revolves around me and my big feelings. And then, like, yeah. We need to start group therapy next season. Correct. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the first thing they do once they're inside is uh, what everybody at prom does. Awkward prom photos! (laughs) I don't remember that at all. But. No, it is a thing. Isaac doesn't want to get a prom photo because he is alone. I mean, that could be a reason. I mean, the other one is photos are weird when you're not in front I mean, of the camera a lot. They're weird. And also, like, the traditional tr- prom photo, which is what, like, Elle and Tao do as we're, yeah. like, entering the scene, is it's couples photos. It's awkward couple photos. So, like, Isaac's like, I don't want a picture by myself. Like, that's weird. Yeah. But Charlie does notice and pulls him in. And so, like, the four friends, the core four, get a photo together. And it's really yeah. cute. She's like, why does it have to be a romantic photo? Why don't we just have a friend's photo? Which, yes. Thank you. So while that photo's happening, the rugby lads, I think I get that, got that terminology from Theora. Uh, they apologize to Nick. What they're called. <laughs> oh, well. Lads is a very specific, like, stereotype boy. And, got like, it. usually it's, like, a sporty guy. So, like, they're the rugby lads. Okay. Anyway, they apologize for making Nick feel like he couldn't tell them about Charlie. Because, I mean, like, he was trying this entire season, basically, to tell these people. And he just kept getting interrupted. Yeah, and it's like, they knew. Like, they knew. They knew. They were just waiting for Nick to be comfortable to tell them. And, like, clearly here, they're they're super excited for Nick and they, they want to support him. And one of them even jokes, they're like, oh, Nick's too busy with his boyfriend to hang out with us. And it's, like, happy teasing. Not, like... When um, Harry, quote, teases people slash bullies them. Like, it's like friends being friends. It's like a lad thing. Like, they're just being boys, right? Like, sweet boys. And my other favorite line in this exchange is when one of the lads is like, well, they're like, oh, Nick got a boyfriend before you guys got girlfriends. And one of them's like, I can get a girlfriend. Is Tara Jones single? (laughs) Like, he gets grilled. And like, what is everyone's obsession with Tara? She is a hot commodity in this school. <laughs> Clearly. And they're like, she's a lesbian. <laughs> you leave like, her she's alone. fully and- out. <laughs> and the guy's like, damn it. <laughs> like, pick another girl. What the fuck? I just find that really funny. It's like a recurring thing with this, like, group of friends. 
anyway, uh, just before this scene happens too, we get a passing comment from Harry. Oh yeah, he's the one. He's like, oh, you guys, you got a boyfriend before either of you guys can get girls. Like, which I, I know he's a, he is a bully. Like he definitely is. But I think that he's really just a dumbass that genuinely thinks he's being a good guy. But like, you know, it comes off as a bully because like he has no tact essentially versus like if Ben delivered this line, it would be with malicious intent to like inflict pain on Nick versus like, I think Harry's just a big giant dumbass. <laughs> Maybe just, his family is like this as well, and he's just used to that type of humor, so he thinks that that's okay. Uh, yeah, something like that. Or he's just trying too hard to be like the alpha male, and it's like, will you shut up, Harry? Shut the fuck up. So anyway, can't can't be a cute moment without a Harry comment. And afterwards, we follow Tara as she starts, like, weaving through the crowd because she's still searching for Darcy, who she hasn't seen yet, and checks her phone for the one millionth time. Still nothing. And so she texts, Darcy, I'm scared. Where are you? Like, it's been over 24 hours at this point. She's still not at prom, which, like, they've been planning for months. Like, it's really, really, something is really, really wrong now. At this point, I would just assume that she was kidnapped. Right? Yeah, I mean... It's like 24, it might be 24 or 48 hours, but like they can start putting out an Amber Alert. Just saying. (laughs) But Nick notices that Tara is upset and Tara is really scared that something is wrong with Darcy because of course she would be. The signs are all there. (laughs) Oh, but no, like she's scared like there's something else going on with Darcy because I mean, she's seen it over the course of the season and but she can't get her to talk about it. And Nick is in this uh, same situation with Charlie because he notices issues with Charlie. And Nick tells her to just try to talk about Because all you can do is try. Yes. So I love this conversation that the two of them dive into because, again, it's like, two people in similar scenarios like kind of like with the towel conversation where they're kind of like their commonalities are being shown here and they're asking each other for advice and tara asks nick during the conversation well how do you talk to somebody about something they don't want to talk about which is 100 percent what nick is going through with charlie like um with his, like, mental health and the, the PTSD from the bullying. Like, Nick very much wants to talk to Charlie about this, but, like, Charlie hasn't opened up about this. So Nick says, maybe, maybe you have to try, even if it doesn't work. And, again, that speaks to, like, the levels of maturity that Nick has when it comes to being in this kind of, I want to help, but I'm helpless position. And I think that's, really good advice and uh, to Tara here who's in the same position and again I love how the two of them really complement each other really really well they have since the very beginning which I think is why people were like shipping them for such a long period of time like these two have a lot in common they were shipping them Um, I mean like in season one oh okay because they kissed when they were 13 and everybody's like oh yeah he likes Tara oh yeah Tara likes Nick I think that's why people were into them because like they have a lot in common and so they, they complement each other really really well like as friends and people read things into that because he was a boy she was a girl and that kind of stuff don't um, start singing the <laughs> i have to 
yeah, and, and they are, it, bottom line is they are both loving and protective partners who try so hard in their respective relationships and just, I, I love this scene between the two of them. It's so beautiful. Okay, so we head over to El and Tao. And Elle tells Tao that she wants to go to Lambert. And Tao tells her that he knows because he knows her. He does because they have so much history and he knew that that's where she belongs. And uh, there's still butterflies flying around them. So everything is good. Everything is good. And you have to like, you can't tell me that in this scene, Tao was the film aficionado was not channeling Han Solo in this moment because this is like almost like a word for word like shot by shot for like the Empire Strikes Back with the Leia and Han I love you I know like it gave that energy so hard so I wonder if he was like channeling Han Solo I think he was I'm just and if you haven't seen just Google, just like go on YouTube and Google like Han Solo, Princess Leia, love confession. Because, like, that's literally the energy of the scene. And I love it. Okay, I could see it. <laughs> I just watched it really quickly. Anyway, so from them being cute and Tao playing out his uh, Star Wars fantasies, Isaac sneaks away to the library because, of course, he does. Of course he does. That's his perfect prom. And he looks at the book on the display table that he helped to make. Uh, and he looks at the book about asexuality because he is starting to understand more. But I mean, okay, so I keep bringing this up, but I swear we saw him read this book last season. But I'm wondering if it's because I watched this season and then go back and we talk about it that it's this scene is in my head. Probably. I don't think he ever read this book. I uh, just, I feel like he's read it before, but whatever. So... When he takes the book, leaves explode around him because he is finding himself. And I love how he just, like, clutches the book. He, like, clutches to his chest and then the leaves, like, explode off of him. It's just, I love it. Just that, like, emotion he was feeling. I just love it. (sighs) Great moment for him. And I'm glad he has the language he needs and is on the journey of discovering this by himself. Because, like, you can argue that... You know, the artist in the last episode, like, you know, did the coming out for Isaac. But I don't think, you know, I can kind of see that. But I think the artist gave him the language and and Isaac is is independently, like, figuring it out for himself. And I think he's doing it the way Isaac does anything. He goes to books to, like, kind of read research and process. And so I think that's what this is really confirming is that Isaac is figuring his coming into his sexuality on his own terms with a book, which is a very Isaac in character thing to do. I think, yeah, it's, it's still, he's still figuring himself out, but he's getting closer and he's finding things that um, he relates to more. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Uh, so after Isaac, we cut back to prom and I have to point out, there's a very important Tori sighting of Tori wearing all black because of course she is in a corner with her diet lemonade and her straw. So she's not going to murder anyone at prom. So is she, okay, so I don't know in the UK how it's done. Obviously we've already established that, but proms are usually separated by grade in America, at least are they? for me. Yeah. Cause there's junior prom, senior prom. 
uh, freshman and prom. sophomore. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I it depends on where you are. <laughs> okay, well, my school, it was separated, and they had more than one prom a year. And, okay, so I was, like, confused why Tori's there. I was like, is she a chaperone? What year is she? Tori would never chaperone children, let's be real. (laughs) No, but she would like to see Charlie be happy with Nick. Also, like, these aren't big populated schools, so why would they have two? I don't, I don't know anything, Theora. (laughs) Leave us, let, let, educate us in the comments, as always, dear UK (laughs) friends. (laughs) Please tell us. But, like, in America, clearly it varies, the prom thing. Like, yeah, we had one prom, that was it. I mean, also, prom is bigger here, so. Yeah, I mean, we had, we didn't do it at the school. We rented out, like, some place and went to it. I also had almost 600 people in my class, so. But, like, if you think about it, not everybody goes to prom, so. No, I'm just saying, but it's a, it's a big class. Yeah. So, not school, like, yeah, and then people bring a date, and then. Yeah, whatever. But then we get uh, some, a little bit of a montage. Uh, we see Harry get caught trying to spike the punch. Again, because of course he does. He's the dumbass. <laughs> that tracks for him. He's a dumbass. Next. <laughs> and then we see Farouk arrive. And now his chaperone date with Nathan can begin. Ooh la la. So Farouk tries to play off the Paris thing, but Nathan says that they should do... Do dinner and drinks next time. It's a date. Woohoo! Yes, love that that's resolved. And, like, their little faces and they're like, okay, we've got a date now. It's so cute. By the way, um, I have at this point read uh, the high school, not high school, um, Heartstopper yearbook. That's why high school popped in my head, which I mentioned in the last episode. But in there, there's a, she um, put in a couple of, like, mini comics, um, like stories and one of them that's in there is like these two the teachers when they like have this conversation to actually get together like after paris it's it's really cute so if you want more content from them go read the heart supper yearbook and it also has like the origin stories of like tara and darcy when they first get together Aww. It's, cute. it's very cute i highly recommend it it's mostly just drawings and like alice going through her process but there's some like little store short stories she put in there it's so cute love it that's cool and now something that's else that's really cute and i love it uh so now we cut to sahar playing the guitar on stage with the band that rhymes <laughs> sahar playing the guitar <laughs> i never noticed that till just now sorry <laughs> neither did i uh so she's playing with the band uh she's probably in the band she's and... definitely in the band she's had this guitar more than once <laughs> during this the show uh, I don't think they're just like, oh, random girl with guitar, perfect. <laughs> you know our songs really well for some reason. <laughs> She's a genius at music. Also, wait a minute. If Sahar is in the band, why wasn't she in, like, the band band with, like, Charlie and Tara and Darcy? Or was she? We just missed her. Maybe that's more classical and she's more rock. Maybe. Maybe there's no electric guitars and that horrible... Maybe the band would be better if Sahar was in it because their band is terrible. <laughs> Were there guitars in that band, though? Maybe. I, I, feel, I feel like she'd have to play a different instrument. She's probably too cool for that. Anyway. I, I get it. <laughs> Imogen notices her and she stares gaily at her. And um, Imogen parts the crowd like the Red Sea, walking up to Sahar in this, like, daze. It's, it's the gayest. 
But now I'm I'm super excited for season three. Um, everyone is great. Great. <laughs> everyone is gay and it's great. Gay as in generalized terms. Everyone is great queer and, and gay it's great. Is gray. You heard it here first. <laughs> if you need to save time, you're like, that's so gray. I'm so in. <laughs> oh my god, that's merch, Kayla. What is it? That's so gray. <laughs> it's gay and great. Oh. It's gray. I'm in. Great and gay. But see, unless you know this podcast, you would not understand. So Right, so if you live in a homophobic environment, you can get merch that says that and no one would know. Yeah. Our little secret. We got you. But this this part's not over yet. We have to no. like really fully give this the moment and time Emerge. to shine. Absolutely. So Sahar catches Imogen's eye at the end of the song, and there are sparks and music notes, so maybe that's gonna be their thing. And something is happening. Yay. So but like, sparks fly, like a Taylor Swift song. Sparks. That's going to be next season, so. <laughs> be better. Um, I just, I went back and watched this today, and Imogen's face at the end of this scene is so cute and, like, gay panic. And it's just, like, kind of understanding or, like, some sort of realization is coming across her. So season three (laughs) this scene is literally the gayest it's a very gay show but this scene is the gayest honestly and i have to point out that the cartoons we get a couple of shots of sahar just playing the guitar on stage and then like yeah imogen parts through and then starts staring at her and we only get the cartoons when she strums the guitar only when imogen is watching which is significant because cartoons mean feelings so that is feelings confirmed right there, which is good. And when the song's over, because, like, Sahar's, like, holding her stare towards the end and then, like, does, like, this little, like, showy, like, guitar strum, like, boo, like a rock star does. <laughs> and then it's, like, for Imogen because she's staring at her. And so Imogen at the end, I love her little, woo. <laughs> so fucking funny and cute. It's, like, a panic, like, okay, woo. There's also a look from Sahar that I feel like is knowing, is a knowing look. Oh, yeah. When she sees Imogen just looking at her. I can see Mother (laughs) Taylor Swift song. Listen, if they're evoking Taylor Swift songs, that's... The ship is born. Theora has been uh, working me into being a Swifty. It's been working. It's not hard, to be honest. She speaks for herself. I mean, just see that Eros tour movie. Like, that's that's all you need. Yes. Don't worry, there's Taylor Swift in this episode. We'll get to it. Oh, I know. I did not see Theora's nose before this. And now there's, like, two pages. So let's wait for that. <clears throat> okay, so from the, the cute little uh, Imogen finding out that, oh, Sahar is really pretty, um... Mick sits down with Charlie, and Charlie asks if they can leave. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. first of all, it's relatable to me, at least, and, but also, boring. yes, that, I actually, I think I did the same thing to the person who went with me to prom, but anyway, yeah, they are very, very boring. They're if, boring. Yeah, if you're not, like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, he doesn't want to live for the people around him. He just wants to have fun with Nick. 
He says, we've been so obsessed with coming out. It's like we forgot why we wanted to do it in the first place. I think that's Charlie. Yeah, that's what Charlie says. Um, but he says and we, and I think it, I don't think it's we. I think it's you, Charlie. Yeah, that exactly. Like, and like Nick tried to give him the out on this a long time ago, and Charlie's just like, no, no, no. This is what we we want. We want, and it's like, oh, Charlie. Uh, anyway, so Nick at this point casually mentions that Olivia Coleman and David are out for the night, and so he's like, I got a free house, so like. We could have just stayed, you know, like I suggested earlier. And personally, we never find out where she was or what she was doing. But I hope Olivia Coleman is having fun wherever she is. And I hope she's not with David because that wouldn't be yeah. fun. Fuck David. No, I hope David. Maybe uh, just maybe leave. she's dropping him off at a train station. Be like, here, go find your way go somewhere. Go back to Glasgow. <laughs> <clears throat> Fucking David. Okay. So now Darcy finally shows up. And she looks like a wreck, like she just kind of rolled out of bed in the morning. But to be fair, she hasn't been home in 24 hours and she's been outside the whole time. She's literally been sleeping on a swing. Yes. Um, oh, we don't know if she slept there. She could have slept on the grass, so that's even worse. Anyway, Tara has already left to try to find her, so she's not there. Can we just, yeah, because Darcy's like, well, where's Tara? Where's Tara? I literally came for her, which is what Tara was baking on, but... It's been 24 hours. Your girlfriend wants to track you down. Can we, like, appreciate the fact that when Darcy first walks in and gets near the crew, she's like, I thought prom was supposed to be vampire themed. <laughs> it's like, Darcy. That was, like, her one of her offhanded suggestions months ago. <laughs> I feel like that was probably a joke. And it was just, like, her trying to lighten the mood because she knows she's been missing for so long. But yeah, just but like what a line when she's been missing for 24 hours. Well, what would have been cute is if none of this happened and they were like all still setting up the problem, but at the end, like Tara sneaks in like vampire stuff or pirate like costumes for the photos for Darcy. That would have been cute. I agree. Fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> and then apparently, no one is really having fun at this problem. No, really wanted nobody. to go in the first place uh so we leave but we actually we didn't leave yet only we, we go to tara who's left um so tara knocks on darcy's door because she's still trying to find her and darcy's mom answers and boy is this an awkward way to meet your future mother-in-law like good lord first tara asks the mom is darcy okay and mom replies how would I know that? Like, but first she thinks that she's cold calling her, which is she's at the door. It's technically it'd be cold, whatever. But she's trying to sell shit. And yeah. He's like, we're not interested. Like, go away. Like, I don't know. Who, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they come to everybody's door. She's like, we don't want any. And yeah, but, but Darcy's like, is, it, or Tara's like, is your daughter okay? And the mom's just like, how would I know that? Like this whole thing screams call child protective services or whatever the UK equivalent is, because what parent doesn't know where their child is? Or is not even a tiny bit concerned. Like, even if you get in a fight with your child, if you haven't heard from them in 24 hours, like, that's not okay. No. No, this whole exchange is very illuminating for Tara. 
but would make sense for substance abuse issues. Yeah, like mom's like drunk at the door right now. It's like the vibe I get. And so her mom is cold to Tara when she's just so concerned about Darcy because someone has to be. And the mom says that Darcy had a tantrum over an outfit and that she looked like a lesbian in it. I mean, like, duh. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah. But this is what the mom's worried about. The mom's not worried that her daughter's been missing for 24 hours. She's like, I'm mad at her because she got upset because I told her the truth. Like, what a baby. Like, who's the baby in this scenario? Like, come on now. But from this uh, whole conversation, Tara finally understands what has been going on with Darcy and gets out of there right away. She's yeah, like, no, no shit, bye. Absolutely not. I can't. This is just like, if I find her, I'll have her call you. Okay? I'm not telling you shit. Goodbye. And this is when she's figured out that uh, she will not be interacting with her future mother-in-law. No, never. And 0.002 seconds after Darcy's mom slams the door in her face, Tara gets a call from Nick. And he tells her they found Darcy. And she's okay. Which is literally all she wanted. (laughs) But great timing. (laughs) Great timing, Nick. So Tara heads over to Nick's house where it seemed like everyone has left prom early despite putting tons of work into setting it up. Okay, so I now don't think that that's true. I think Tara definitely put in a lot of time. The other people just used it as a playground. Correct. And really, like, maybe the real prom was the friends we made along the way, you know? To be fair, this prom looks a lot more fun. It does, but even Tara was like, I'm over it, I don't care. And, like, she just wants to make sure Darcy's okay. I don't think Tara even really showed up to the prom. I mean, she was there for, like, five minutes and was like, nope, gotta go find Darcy. Yeah, for real. But, like, which I love when she gets there and they all do this big giant group hug at the doorway and it's just... Again, it's the friends you made. It's it's about hanging out with your friends. It's really not about this stupid like That's their dance family. Thing. Yes, exactly. Okay, so when she gets there, uh, Tara and Darcy go off on finally. their own and talk. <laughs> yes, finally. finally. <laughs> and Tara's where Darcy slept, and why didn't she tell her? Well, we find out in the conversation why she didn't tell her, and it's because Darcy's phone died and she didn't have a charger. But also, the bitch was sleeping in a park. Like, would the charger have helped if she grabbed it? I mean, uh, she could have went to a library. Or, you know, she really could have gone to the school. No, 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 no. The next day. In the morning. Because she still waited the whole day to say something. She also could have gone to a library instead of the park. And just hung out there and used their computers to Instagram people. Like... I think she was just trying to avoid... She could have shown up to the school, but I think she's just not ready to be around people. I agree. I don't think she, like, wanted her phone to work. Like... Yeah, she's just, like, needed to be alone in her correct. feelings. Correct. Exactly. But but there there were modern ways to get in touch with people. Yeah. If you want. Because I'm sure they're texting on Instagram. <laughs> so she could have logged in somewhere else. Okay, UK people. <laughs> Do you have messaging apps? <laughs> Can you text or suggest Instagram? Instagram. (laughs) Please help us. We want to understand. 
Uh, but okay, Tara also is like me, and she's like, okay, there's a million ways you could have handled this, Darcy. The next logical one being like, why didn't you come to my house? Like, you could have, you know, where I live, you could have just come to my house instead of sleeping in a park. Like, why would you do that? I am actually curious about that. Like, does Darcy not feel like Tara's fully, I mean, I know she's like not fully herself with her, but I feel like if she thought like Tara was completely safe, she would feel comfortable going there. So maybe the guilt is what kept her from going there. I think it really has to do with, I think I wrote about it later, but like the fact that Darcy is living this double life. And again, she's, she says it in this conversation where she's like, well, you've seen what my home life is like. And she just came out of this where she got kicked out of her home and to like tell Tara she was staying with her, she'd have to explain why she's not currently at her home and she's wearing her prom dress and all that stuff. So she'd have to like reveal the truth to Tara. And she was afraid that Tara wouldn't love her if she did that. So I think Darcy was like, well, if I tell you, if I go to your house and tell you, then I could lose you and then I lose everything. So let me just go hide. I'll show back up at prom like everything's fine. Because when she comes to prom, she tries to act like everything's fine. Like, where are the pirates? And like, like you said. But she just can't. Like, the jig's up, girl. Like, too much has happened. Like, have the conversation, which is what they're doing now. So she was scared, basically. Yeah, so Darcy explains to Tara that she is proud of who she is at school, but at home she has to pretend, and her parents don't even know she is gay. And she says, I don't think I'll ever come out, be out to them. Which I think is very similar to what we got with Ben. Yes. However, he's not comfortable with being himself at all. Yep. No, there's definitely parallels to be had between Darcy and Ben. Absolutely. I don't remember if I said this last time, but like if there was, if Ben was in season three, I feel like they would have put Darcy and Ben in some scenes together. That would be nice. I would like to see them. But even when they don't have scenes together, like they are foils. Absolutely. Um, And also during this conversation, Darcy says the reason why she is super confident and out and proud at school is because... If you remember back to season one, when they went public with their relationship, Tara and Darcy, like, Darcy saw the toll that that had on Tara, who was, like, really struggling to come out. And, um, like, Tara even said, like, I can't even say the word lesbian. Like, I'm struggling with this. And so Darcy took it upon herself to play up the confidence in order to be that person for Tara. She's like, I was trying to be your rock during all of that. So how can I crumble in front of you. I can't do that. I have to be strong for you. It's basically what she's saying here. And that's part of why she was avoiding actually talking about this. And then I think also avoiding coming to Tara, like, when she hit rock bottom, basically. She didn't want Tara to see that. I don't, like, love it, but, like, I love that, um, that that's how she reacted. Because I feel like that's very relatable. Uh, because it's, like, being, this is not, like, the same equivalent but like similar is like being scared of like a mouse in the house like if one person is you're more likely to be more confident to be the person who's like kind of like the hero or something and be the helper it's like oh i'm not scared and then get it but if you're alone you'll be terrified yeah basically (laughs) boil it down it's a good metaphor but yeah exactly (laughs) Okay, so because Darcy hadn't shown Tara all of her love, no, sorry, I read more than one line at a time. 
I'm so sorry. Because Darcy hadn't showed Tara all of her. It was hard for her to say, I love you. Because she didn't think Tara would love her if she did. Yeah, exactly. She was she was afraid of showing Tara everything. And everything is her at rock bottom. Yeah. And the line that that hurts but is so vulnerable and good for her to say is like, you said I love you, but what if that person didn't exist? Because again, Darcy felt like, you know, feels partially like a fraud because of the double life she leads with like who she is at school and who she is at home. And I feel like that duality for her is so entrenched that Darcy isn't sure which version of her is like the real her, quote unquote. And she was scared that Darcy couldn't, or that Tara couldn't love her if she saw that other half. Um, And especially like the part of her that I think she hates or resents a little bit. I think she resents who she has to be when she's at home because that's not who she is. But um, her problems at home are very, very real and super troubling. Like, Child Protective Services should come and help you. Troubling. And uh, she didn't she didn't want to be weak in front of Tara when, like, she felt like she was, you know, has has to constantly be the strong person. And I empathize with that and, and what she's going through. Like, you feel like you can't be vulnerable when, like, your partner relies on you to be strong. So I think that that's part of what's playing into, like, their dynamic and why she was so secretive about it. I'm really but, excited uh, to see what happens with her next season. Yeah, and I, I love the part where... Because, like, Darcy... It's funny, though, that she thinks that she's this put-together, like, strong person for Tara, when really she's a disaster. And she's like, you know, are you sure you love me? I'm a disaster. And Tara's like, oh, I know. That's what I like about you. So I just love that. She's like, it's like she's, she's seen the she writing on the wall. She means it in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, like, she's seen the writing on the wall. Like, she knows, like, you didn't have to be so scared. But, you know, sometimes you just, you have to go through things at your own pace and, you know, work through it. But now Tara knows all of Darcy. So there are two full pages of them saying I love you to each other. Oh my god. It's like the cutest. Because part of it was just like Darcy being like, I have to practice. I'm not good at saying this. Like saying how I feel kind of thing. So Tara's like, you gotta practice. So they're practicing, quote unquote. So they keep saying like, I love you back and forth. And it's very, very adorable. Yes, and it's adorable. So cue Taylor Swift. This is where, uh, so everyone starts dancing to Taylor Swift. And then I asked uh, Theora in our notes if there's a meaning behind the song. With the scene. Of course there is. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to point out something Darcy notices before their whole conversation starts, which is like super cute photos of baby Nick. Like, oh my God, there's like little Nick holding flowers. That's adorable. He's he's always been fucking adorable. I I have to point that out because it was so cute. Okay, and now let's get into Taylor Swift. So That was very important to note. It. it is very important. I mean, all the music choices in this show are really, really good, but I'm going to dive into this one because it was foreshadowed in the, the show. So, And also they had to, must have paid Olivia Coleman money to get the song. So let's, let's appreciate, let's they appreciate paid this. Olivia Coleman to get the song? No, I mean like big money to a big name is what oh, I was saying. Oh, got it, got saying. it, got it, got it. Yeah, me you think Taylor Swift songs, the rights of those songs are cheap? I highly doubt it. No, but she was more into it, so maybe... Oh, she was definitely into it. She was like, this, this scene is so That's cute. Here's my song. It's ta- That's a story for another day. 
So let's talk about the song. So the song that plays is Seven from the Folklore album because the fucking poster was on Tara's wall. So of course it was from that album. And the song that starts That was playing. obvious at Theora, not me. I asked Theora if that was from Folklore. Yes. <laughs> they showed the poster multiple times. Folklore is a great album. I love that album. Uh, so it starts playing while Tara and Darcy are practicing saying I love you and continues throughout the rest of like the para squad's prom at Nick's house. Like it plays the whole time they are having their prom. Um, and that sequence is basically just everybody having fun and being all lovey dovey and cute. And before we get into like the lyrics, I want to talk about like during the sequence, one of the things they do is they start randomly playing hide and seek. And like, is everybody drunk? Because people pick the worst hiding spots ever to hide in. Like, literally, Isaac hides next to the couch behind a cushion where his book is visible, his lower half of his body is visible, and he's just behind a cushion hiding. And his head I, is poking out. His head is poking out. Like, go watch that sequence if you weren't paying attention because, like, everybody's hiding spots are terrible. It's just hilarious, that whole, that, there's no word spoken. It's just the song playing and everyone's, like, hiding. I think L is the one searching. It's hilarious. Go back and watch that. It's so fucking funny. Okay. So, seven. Please picture me in the trees. I hid my peak at seven. me in the contest heartstopper it's a darcy tara song that extends to everybody else eventually but the first two verses are read from darcy's point of view and the song overall is told from the point of view of someone who's thinking back to their childhood hence like in a swing over a creek pennsylvania that's where taylor swift grew up so it's somebody thinking back to their childhood and the singer is imploring the people that experienced that moment in time with her to reminisce fondly about it the singer is thinking about the highs, the swing, uh, during that time and wondering if this was the peak of happiness. Hence the ending line, that's a question, are there so beautiful things? So the translation of that is, will I feel this type of happiness again? So how this relates to Heart Scepter. So I think Darcy has been struggling to find joy in her home life and therefore has been clinging to her happy life outside of the home with Tara and her school friends. But this season, she's on this journey to reconcile those the double life she's living. And I get the sense that she's worried that existing fully as her authentic self is not possible. And she is scared that happiness outside of school is unattainable. So are there still beautiful things? The next verse goes. Sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other. And though I can't recall your face, I still got love. Braids like a pattern, love you to the moon and to Saturn. Pass down like folk songs, the love lasts so long. The second verse there is a love letter to the singer's friends slash loved ones. 
that made those childhood days so worthy of remembrance. Time passed, the memories faded, but the feelings stayed. For Darcy, this is her sentiment towards her friends who went out of their way to give her a safe and happy prom. And if you think about it, her toxic home life almost robbed her of that formative memory. But her friends, Tara in particular, made this moment possible. From this verse, I get the impression that Darcy will remember this night for the rest of her life. Maybe not the vivid details, the weird hide-and-go-seek things they were doing. <laughs> but she's, gonna, she's going to cling to that love and happiness from prom and talk about it fondly for years to come. Passing down the feeling like a folk song. Then the third verse. And I've been meaning to tell you I think your house is haunted Your dad is always mad And that must be why And I think you should come live with me And we can be pirates Then you won't have to cry Or hide in the closet And just like a folk song Our love will be passed on The day the the pirates thing were they planning that all along so i think the third verse here switches to tara's point of view and yeah i think this is yeah this is why the song is in here and here the singer is admitting that she noticed her friend so in this context tara notices darcy has a troubled home life with a toxic parent in the song it's a father so the singer proposes that they run away together or hide in a closet Interesting choice word. <laughs> <laughs> Just interesting. Uh, the point is, the friend, so Tara in this context, is, is proposing they escape together, which is how they'll preserve their happiness and keep their love going. The parallel hero to Tara and Darcy is a lot more direct than the other previous verses. For months, Tara has uh, been slowly putting the pieces together about Darcy's toxic home life. Like, we saw the text before she met her mom, where she's like, did your mom do something? And in this, you know, prior to the scene, when she meets the mom, Tara gets the confirmation that Darcy has a toxic home life. So Darcy um, also suggested the prom be pirate themed at one point, which feels intentional for the writers if they're going to use the song, because school is her escapism and prom is like a fantasy night. So perhaps subconsciously, Tara knew bits of this all along when it comes to what was going on with Darcy and that might be why she invited her to sleep over so much like including the night right after the Paris trip and if you really think about that Paris was basically a week-long sleepover where they quote escaped into a fantasy like Paris is like the city of love they were talking fondly about it on the bus ride and immediately after that trip ends, instead of going back to their regular lives, Tara invites Darcy to escape to her house for just a little while longer. Only this setting is a real world setting, so it's more like hiding than escaping, like in the closet. But by staying together, Tara was able to keep their happiness intact, albeit like put a band-aid over the gaping wound. While Darcy's toxic home life is kind of like out of sight, out of mind. So that verse very much reads like Tara's point of view towards Darcy. Then the last verse I'll go through is a uh... sweet tea in the summer. Cross my heart, won't tell no other. And though I can't call your face, I see. 
song concludes with the singer making concrete plans to preserve their happiness in the present, which is adulthood, because this was written looking fondly at childhood, by keeping these childhood memories, quote, pack your dolls, and making new ones, quote, we'll move to India forever. The conclusion reads like the Paris squad's plan to relocate prom to Nick's, and they brought the best of their childhood, the games they played and the laughter, and made these wonderful memories together. Memories that will last a lifetime. Immortal memories that will they will reminisce about as the years go on. Passing it down like a folk song. That's a lot. Theora is really smart, especially when it comes to Taylor Swift. <clears throat> I'm, I'm really impressed with everything you do with these lyrics and read into. Yeah, I mean... It's all right there. So it's it, honestly like at first when I heard it, I'm like, that's a really random song to pick for this. And then like I really thought about it. And I was like, no, that's actually the perfect song that really drives home. What is going on with this prom? It's it's not just like a dance night for them. It's like they're a little found family. So it's more about the happiness they share and the fact that like this is bonding them in a way that's unbreakable for the rest of their lives and that's what the song is really talking about despite like the bullshit at home like all of that stuff it's like this moment these memories are more important so it's excellent song choice wonderful thank you for uh your taylor swift appreciation and explanation theora of course and then after the Taylor Swift stops playing, all the Paris squad goes home, leaving only Charlie and Nick. And truly, this scene is one of their best scenes in the entire show. Yes, so Nick and Charlie are laying in bed together, and Nick doesn't want Charlie to leave. He never wants Charlie to leave. But more important, like, Nick doesn't let him. So, like, in the scene, like, they're, like, kissing on the bed and Nick's like got Charlie in his arms and Charlie's like trying to leave because he has a curfew so he's he keeps being like uh I gotta get home because like my mom's gonna be mad at me which has been a constant thing all of the season but Nick literally will not let Charlie go like he keeps him in his grip and he's like no <laughs> and so he tries to like distract him by kissing him uh and then Charlie's like, I know what you're doing. And Nick's like, my plan was foiled. <laughs> I love that line. I think it's adorable. <laughs> so Nick finally concedes and lets, reluctantly, lets Charlie go. And so Charlie, instead of like leaving, like running out the door because he's about to make his mom mad, he starts snooping around Nick's room, which he's been there a million times. So I find this weird, but also funny because I just don't think he really wants to go. And he comments on all the rugby trophies on Nick's like shelf. And he picks one up that Nick explains he got at a summer camp for being like the best team player and nick as he starts explaining this and then he like does some gay math and he's like oh wait i think i won that because i was really into the coach and i was trying so hard to impress him that i ended up winning this trophy which is so relatable as a queer that plays that sports so like, relatable. it's relatable i get it so i just love that he does the gay math of like looking in hindsight and being like that was so gay that thing i did and i have a trophy to remember that how gay <laughs> I, was. I love it oh my gosh a trophy for being gay oh my god and charlie eats that shit up like he's like the first like genuine smile we see from him since prom started it's adorable yeah uh, but then nick tries to get charlie to open up the Tries to get him to open up about how things are affecting him. 
But Charlie, of course, keeps telling him that everything is okay. But Nick tells him that it's not. No, Nick says, I know you like to be happy and perfect all the time. I know you like, you like everything to be happy and perfect all the time. But you don't have to be perfect with me. Which is... So it's what a great way to try, as he was saying with Tara, to like get Charlie to open up. Because I think he's trying to like get that last wall down from Charlie where he's like pretending with Nick, basically. And so when Charlie hears that, anytime he's kind of reminded of the fact that things aren't perfect, his instinct is to like shrink in on himself, which he does. So Nick kind of seeing this gets off, off the bed and gets on the floor, like literally gets on his level, which is like very important body language in this kind of scenario. And he reminds Charlie that they promised to tell each other everything. So this is Nick taking the advice he gave Tara and he's like shooting his shot to get Charlie to talk to him. And it works. Charlie opens up about his coming out experience. One of the things that surprised charlie was just how homophobic people were like people he he'd said things like people would just tell call me disgusting straight to my face which honestly surprises me too because at this school there is another out gay guy james and we never hear that james was bullied like charlie was so i wonder what actually happened with james's coming out like was he traumatized too or was this a unique thing to charlie for some reason that is never explained. Hmm. Maybe, do we know if James was there the whole time? Like, I think James was out since season one. Well, like, no, was he there? I'm wondering if, like, maybe he transferred into the school and was, like, already out. But still, like... Wouldn't you expect him to get bullied by the boys also? But I mean, like, we're not really focused on him. No, I know. But, like, we never hear, like, from anybody that, oh, him and James. Like, James was bullied, too. It's only, we only hear about Charlie's, like, anecdotal bullying. Like, it never comes up from any other character. Maybe James stuck up for himself right away, so people didn't mess with him as much. Maybe. I just find that very strange. Okay, but, yeah. I, if I think too much about it, I'll come up with too many theories. So, back to That's the scene. That's good. <laughs> um, Charlie finally tells Dick that he started to believe the people who were saying horrible things about him. To him. And it led him to cutting himself. And he tells Nick that he doesn't want to feel like that anymore. And, of course, Nick doesn't want him to feel that either. No, nobody wants Charlie to feel like that. Charlie deserves better than all this bullshit. So Nick hugs him. And this is really cute. It's a very much needed hug between the two of them. And they both like sit in that hug and like cry, which is important. Like they're feeling their feelings and that kind of stuff. And so after that, Nick checks to make sure that Charlie doesn't feel that way, meaning like he doesn't want to self-harm at this point and charlie says no then charlie tries to apologize like in true charlie fashion 
And Nick shuts that shit down because they banned the S word. <laughs> it's so fucking cute. You know, I have I have a friend like that that apologizes for everything, and I'm just like, don't ever fucking say that word again to me. I'm tired of hearing that. <laughs> so I get this energy from Nick. And in this moment, Charlie promises to tell Nick if it ever gets that bad ever again. But it takes the name Char a few minutes. It takes Nick naming him Char and a few minutes of convincing from Nick for him to get there. So it's not like he automatically promises. Like, Nick has to be like, no, I need to convince you I'm serious. Because, like, anytime it gets bad, you never actually tell me. So, like, you better tell me this time. Uh, But then Charlie, like expresses why he never does that and he's like i don't want to annoy you which is so sad like charlie never talks about how he feels or like stands up for himself because he doesn't want to like quote annoy the other people which is just sad and this conversation they're having reads a lot like tara darcy's conversation because nick tells charlie that during this year or this two months or however long it's been this season he's been doing so many scary things like coming out, posting, coming out to his dad, everybody, because Charlie was there supporting him. He says, like, holding my hand, which is cute. And he wants to be that support system for Charlie during his mental health crisis. So it reads like Darcy trying to be hold Tara's hand while she was coming out kind of thing. So another, like, parallel with their relationship. And to me, I bring that up because it's just so refreshing to see so many healthy queer relationships portrayed in one piece of media. Like, yeah, they got problems, sure, but, like, that's human and they communicate and work through it. And I just, that is one of the things about Heartstopper I think they got so, so right. That's, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of things we talk about, we're like, this is good, and then we go to another one and we have to do... uh you know, compilations of stuff because to get enough representation for one episode. But yeah, this this show does have a lot. Or it's like, yeah, you get the one couple, but they're toxic as fuck. (laughs) Yeah, like that's the representation you got. We got to talk about it. Right. I like that this this show treats the queer couples like any other like any other couple and just shows that they have problems and they can communicate and talk through it and break up or whatever. But like, they're real people. They're not just, like, token diversity checkboxes. Like, the show nails it. Like, this is some of the best representation on television, in my opinion. Uh, so this end of this... <laughs> the end of their conversation here really reads, like, the, the scene with the Taylor Swift song playing. Because after they kiss, Nick transitions into telling Charlie everything he loves about him. So kind of like the... Tara and Darcy, I love you, I love you thing. But Nick keeps, like, creeping and getting closer to saying I love you. Like, he's like, I love your hair, your eyes. And and then he, like, pauses. And then we hear, Nikki! Because Olivia Coleman is back from her wild of the night doing God knows what. And it just... Okay. I've never, ever once been upset about an Olivia Coleman scene. And I'm not mad now. But girl... If you couldn't have waited one more minute to come home, <laughs> like, you interrupted the I love you scene. <laughs> and writers. Also, like, if Olivia <laughs> Coleman is going to interrupt, like, put her on screen. It's just her voice. So it's a double insult is what I'm saying. But maybe they decided to add this final scene later and they already shot Olivia Coleman's scene. So all she could do was go into a studio and do a voiceover. 
that's more insulting. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that unfortunately ends the cuteness, and they finally Charlie gets ready to leave. But first, he has to steal a hoodie from Nick. Like he doesn't leave in his original clothes; he steals a hoodie. Uh, and then they kiss a few times and Charlie exits the home. Yes. And as Charlie is walking home, he pulls out Instagram. <clears throat> of course. <laughs> and contemplates saying, I love you through text or Instagram messaging. Yeah. And basically he like types it out and then his thumb hovers over the send button and then it ends. And everyone's like, no, what a cliffhanger. And it's like, yes, what a cliffhanger. This is how you write cliffhangers. They aren't <laughs> sad. They are hopeful and wonderful. And please write this more into queer media. And for everybody out there who's like, oh my God, will they, won't they? First of all, read the books. And second of all, Alice has, says like, it's there's no doubt that they don't love each other. It's just a matter of when are they going to say it. And that's what season three is going to be. So like, calm down. It'll be fine. They should not be saying it over a text for the very first they time. Shouldn't. Anyway, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. I was telling like, him not to do it. But no, I would have been so mad if he actually hit send. Because, like, no. Like, what a shitty way to do that. I understand it's, like, to show what he's feeling, which is great. But please don't send that. <laughs> yeah. Please don't send that. I'm, I'm glad. Go back to the front it. door and then tell <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. Just go knock. He didn't leave that plug. You're no, right no, outside. Seriously. And they make a point of showing the time on Charlie's phone. Like, it's past midnight at this point. He already missed the curfew just go back like you're already late (laughs) (sighs) okay so happy cliffhanger at this point we have made it to the end of heartstoppers season two so it is time to get your beverage of choice and hydrate for lesbian jesus (laughs) so since we didn't do episode by episode which is what we normally do we're just gonna do the whole season so caitlin how much would you hydrate for lesbian jesus for heartstoppers season two I'll give it a nine and a half. The half, the half was just for the star image and scene. Well, good. Uh, I will give it a ten. Most of the episodes, I think, were tens on their own. It's just a very strong season. It kept getting queerer, so like it has to get more hydration just for that. So ten out of ten for the season. I like the progression of Nick and Charlie's relationship and the fact that they're really diving into the mental health stuff. It was great. This season also improved upon the source material, in my opinion, because it added extra, like, scenes of, like, characters who don't normally converse conversing, like Nick and Tao. Um, and I love the Sahar Emajid edition. Isaac's coming into his asexuality. Like, all of that was so good and so important. And so, like, to me, this season was better than the first season. And I just, I love it. It was a very strong oh, yes. second season. Yes. It was I'm very too. excited for season three and to read the final volume of Heartstopper that's coming out soon. So, Ugh, I love this show. It's so good. I mean, they haven't been delayed at all because they were not no, affected filming. by the strike. So, we should get them uh, sooner than the rest. Yeah, if you're into spoilers, like, there's already uh, beach scene footage on floating around the internet. There so. is? Yes, there is. They're filming. They've been filming. Oh, I know that they're filming because one the Two of them went live in the middle of the night one time, and apparently that was, like, a scandal or something. (laughs) That's all I know. But before we uh, end this episode, it is time for the secret bonus word that's not really a secret anymore, because I told you in the beginning of this episode. So, (laughs) So the word that your challenge is to 
put in a comment or a review and spell it without looking it up is and I tr looked this up, I practiced it, and I'm hoping I still remember how to say it. <clears throat> tintinabulation. Wow. So I'm going to say it again. Tintinabulation. And so the origin is Latin. I'm going to give you actually more stuff for this word. Like it's an actual spelling bee. From the mid-19th century, uh, the definition is, there's two different definitions. The one is the ringing of bells. Two, a tinkling sounds like that of a bell. Uh, so I also wrote a sentence for it because, so I'm going to use it in a sentence. So when Imogen finally really saw Sahar, it was like there was a tintinabulation in her ears. I, know, folks. That was the I best mean, way. To that kind of makes sense because if it's Latin, like tinnitus is like a medical term for like ringing in the ear. So yeah, the root word is all there. Yes, that was also there. Yes. Cool. So tintinabulate your hearts out, dear listeners. Thank you for coming along this journey with us for Heartstopper Season 2. We will be back to cover Heartstopper Season 3 when it drops. And hopefully, since there's no strike, we can, like, interview people because we weren't able to really do too much this season because of the strike. Um, Even so though it wasn't affected by it, was really weird reaching out to people right now, so. Yeah, so we did not. So maybe next time for the for the season three and probably we'll be covering like alice's books as well in the hiatus we shall see um if you guys are interested let us know if you want to reminisce we have all of our reaction videos on our patreon so become a patreon for five dollars a month and you can watch all of our Heartstopper uncut content uh that's not available on youtube or spotify or wherever you are listening to this right now so thank you guys we appreciate it and if you want to talk to us about Heartstop or anything or give us suggestions for what you'd like us to cover next, like please reach out to us on social media. We are at Big Gay Energy Pod at every platform possible. So hit us up. Let us know. We're always happy to hear from you and see what you guys would like to hear us cover. So thank you for that. And until and next time. Until next time, whenever that may be, hydrate for lesbian Jesus. And gay it up all over the place. Bye. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod. Or email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media-loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.